While many Christians will classify themselves as either a Calvinist or an Arminian and argue with those of a differing view, Pastor Ed Taylor has this to say. After much thought on this topic and much study and much prayer, I've come to the conclusion, what are you, a Calvinist? What are you, an Arminian? This is my conclusion. I'm a Christian, and I want to follow Jesus and be used of him to save souls. That's my conclusion. That's where I'm at. I want to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone that will hear so that whosoever will believe in him will not perish and have everlasting life. That's what I want to do. That's what I've dedicated my life to do. That's what I'll continue to do if I keep my eyes on Him and enjoy my abiding relationship with Him. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You There are some things we just won't fully understand this side of heaven, and we need to be okay with that. Perhaps the Trinity falls into that category, and certainly the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, too. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll listen in to Pastor Ed Taylor's talk on God's predestination and the free will of man. Perhaps you've tried to reconcile the two and fell short, or you've embraced one and tried to explain away the other. Ed will suggest a much better approach. Here he is in 1 Kings 12. You and I are responsible to God for the actions that we take. We can't simply step back and say, well, God, if it's all of you, then I'm not responsible. It's your fault. And yet at the same time, although we have responsibility, God is sovereign. And he has ordered and put together the plan of salvation for you and I so that we can both make decisions and have assurance at the same time. Now, now here's the mistake that is often made. Being men and women that like things explained and clear and clean, many have taken and attempted to reconcile the sovereignty of God with the free will of man and try to explain them and put them together. And that's where I think we make an error because the Bible never attempts to reconcile the two. The Bible just tells you straight up, God is sovereign and you have a choice. Trust him. The God, God, he has laid before us in this mystery where they can't be figured out. There are a lot of mysteries that God includes in his scriptures that produce an awe in me. Like for example, the, the greatest mystery the greatest mystery isn't that God chooses, and the greatest mystery isn't not that we respond to the gospel. I'll tell you a mystery that, that the longer I walk with the Lord, the more intrigues me, and it's simply this. The mystery for me is that God would love me so much that he would rescue my life so many years ago. That's mysterious to me. I don't deserve that. There wasn't anything in my life that deserved any intervention on God. If God, God could have chosen in his own free will to let me keep going the way I was going and end off in a ditch myself. 
But when I think of that, I don't try to explain it. I don't go back and say, you know, back in 1991, I really wasn't that bad. I mean, I was bad, but it wasn't really that bad. So I can find a few things that God would see in me over my neighbor. And, and I can see how he put me in, and I can start to figure it out and then explain away the glorious truth that for whatever reason in God's sovereignty, he reached down in my life and in yours. Try to explain it away and you'll stir up pride in your life. Try to explain it away and you'll miss the, the awesomeness of God intervening. You try to explain it away or try to reconcile it with your own behavior in the time and you will miss the reality of God's love for you. You'll just m- remove God's love from you whatsoever and then you'll think you deserve it. I want to search out the mysteries. You know, I'm a, I'm a student of the Bible. That's what God ordained my life to be. I didn't know that would be the end of my life. I didn't know. I was just talking recently uh, to, to somebody as I was back in Florida teaching at a men's conference, I was talking to somebody about an English teacher, how of all the teachers had to put up with my nonsense, one teacher did not put up with my nonsense. My seventh grade English teacher, Mr. Ellington. Mr. Ellington did not mess around with this young man that seemed to get his way in every other class, but not Mr. Ellington. Mr. Ellington was about 6'5", six, 6'6", and stood towering, towering over this young kid that just started junior high, that used to get away with everything in class, would get away with jokes and being the class clown. I would get away with passing notes and causing all kinds of havoc. And the one thing I really got away with, anywhere and everywhere I went, was speaking with improper English. Double negatives and, and words that shouldn't be included in sentences and... And all of that, I would teach, talk to teachers like that. I would just, and, and for all those years, for si- all those sixth grade years, I pretty much got away with it until seventh grade English. And of all the kids in class, for some reason, Mr. Ellington just was at my desk all the time. And he would knock on the desk and he wouldn't bend down to do it either. I don't know how long his arms really were. But he would stand towering, we don't do that in this class. We don't speak like that. And he'd be on the other end in his desk, and I'd try to be in the desk as far away from him. And I would speak to my neighbor, and I'd whisper some double, I ain't going there. And he'd say, we don't say ain't in here. I'm like, what, what is this? He's, what do you, how can he hear me that far? And on and on. I had him for first semester English, because he taught all the honors classes. So I, guess what? Second semester Mr. Ellington, graduating to eighth grade, forget this, leaving seventh grade English behind, you stay with the seventh graders. No, he moved up with us. <laughs> eighth grade English as it continued on. Man, that, that guy, he did not let me get away with anything. I mean, he rode me like you wouldn't believe and he wouldn't mess around and he wasn't the kind of guy that would send you to the office. He'd just take care of it himself. But he was a nice man, and he was a kind man, firm and stern, but he was nice to me. You could even say, if I look back with the memory that I have, that he was respectful in his corrections of me. Something in his young, because he was a younger man back then, something in his young teaching saw something in me and didn't let me get away with, I mean, by the time I left eighth grade, my language was very different. I didn't leave those bad words behind, but now I use them in proper sentences. 
Why? Because of Mr. Ellington. Ellington. Don't forget that man. I haven't. He, he was so kind to me that when he chose a group of people in class to go see his college and visit his home and introduce us to his wife, no other teacher ever did that. And Mr. Ellington chose me, that punk, troublemaking kid in his class, to be a part of that group with all the other nice kids that never seemed to get in any trouble. I had one other teacher take me to his house. That was Mr. Palmer, our baseball coach, and he took us all to his house so we could do his lawn and wash his car. I don't know how you can get away with that. You probably can't get away with that now. But we didn't like to go to his, and he never told us. Instead of practice, we'd go, he'd take us to his house. I don't think that was fair. Mr. Palmer, if you're listening, that was wrong that you did that. <laughs> and Mr. Ellington took a liking to me, and, and, and I responded to that. And I, I wrote better because of him. I wrote better papers. I spoke better because of him. And he even ended up in our high school a couple years later, but he stayed in the lower grades when we were in the upper grades. And, and I was in trouble so much that I really didn't get to relate to him. But how would Mr. Ellington know that seventh grade punk in that whole class would one day become a preacher? Who his whole life would be reading and writing two, basically two term papers a week for the rest of his life, which is pretty much what my notes are. I'm a, I read and pray and research and write two papers a week, sometimes three or more. In Florida, I taught six times in two days. I mean, that was like, whoa, all right, it was good. I loved it, great time. Well, later on, when after I became uh, a pastor and, and my life has changed, and now we're fast-forwarding many years here now in Colorado, I started getting on Facebook a few years ago, and God brought Mr. Ellington to mind, so I, I tried to connect with him, and I found him. Turns out that all throughout those years in, 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 uh, in high school, he's a believer, filled with the Holy Spirit, standing at my desk, towering over me, telling me to, t- to speak right telling me that he wasn't going to let me get away, seeing potential in me that, that no one else seemed to see, including myself. And, and he's a believer. He's still walking with the Lord. I mean, Mr. Ellington and I are so close, we're on each other's Christmas card list. His kids have grown up, married. I've seen pictures of his grandkid. I've been able, you know how you get to that, that nostalgic thing where you want to reach out and thank him? I've thanked him multiple times. Little did he know that he would be pouring into this kid. Little did he know that, that this kid would grow up and use the skills that, that he taught me in English uh, to improve my speaking, to communicate the gospel in a clear way. And you, you don't know who God is putting into your life. And you see the sovereignty of God. I didn't plan on being in that class. I certainly didn't ask him to ride my case the whole two years I was with him. And yet his choice to be the teacher that he wanted, to apply himself, to obey perhaps the prompting of the Holy Spirit, uh, to, to, man, take care of this guy. I've got a plan for this kid. Nobody sees it but me, but I want you to take care of this guy. And you see this all throughout life, and you see this all throughout Scripture. I'm not trying to explain it. When I think of stories like that in my life, as I start looking back, it just leaves me in awe. I mean, I can go back in my own life, and I'm doing this in my life to stir memories in yours so that you realize there's a lot of things in your life as God has ministered to you over the years, a lot of things maybe you don't even like about, you don't like the family you were in, you don't like the way you were raised, you don't like how you were treated, but God is working all things together for the good so that you are who you are today by the will of God. 
all of your choices and God's sovereign choice are being worked together for the good as he does his work in and through you. And if you go back and try to explain everything, and if you go back and try to figure everything out, and you go back and try to fix things in your mind, and you keep living, but I was treated this way yet. I know, but God even used that to make you who you are today. And if you keep living on trying to fix the past and trying to work the past and even trying to, to, in your life, trying to do things so that you might try to prove yourself to the past, you're you're missing out on the present and what God wants to do in your life right now. And you're missing out on the awe that you're still alive. Here you are, you're still here. I I think back on my own life and in being just a little baby and this young mom saying, I'm I'm not going to be able to take care of this guy and I'm not going to abort him. I'm going to hand him off for adoption and another family is going to raise him. And there I was in the Los Angeles County adoption system, not knowing how many babies were in the room, but there were many babies in that room. And when my parents were wanting to adopt their second child and a little boy, they walked into this room and my mom whispered to my dad, I want the ugliest baby in here. No, she didn't do that. If you're listening from heaven, mom, I'm sorry. (laughs) And they walk in and through whatever series of events and their choice to adopt, they took me home. And what a life um, was changed for them by me being in their life. But God was faithful. It was all part of his plan. My parents choosing a baby, a woman choosing adoption, and God's sovereignty working together. You try to explain that, you're going to miss the awe of God. You try to explain these things and say, well, I know doctrinally this is the way it is, and this is, and even to the point where I know some of you listening to me, you are predestined. Man, you're going to miss out on the love and the mercy and the grace of God. The God that the Bible says so loved you that he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We just have to remember, according to Isaiah, that God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. We we don't want to fall too far on man's free will and say, well, it's all about us. And we don't want to fall too far, well, you know, it's God's sovereignty and he doesn't have any free will. I mean, that eliminates a lot of passages and a lot of truths in the scripture. And I just know in my life, after much thought on this topic and much study and much prayer, I've come to the conclusion. What are you, a Calvinist? What are you, an Arminian? This is my conclusion. I'm a Christian, and I want to follow Jesus and be used of him to save souls. That's my conclusion. That's where I'm at. I want to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone that will hear so that whosoever will believe in him will not perish and have everlasting life. That's what I want to do. That's what I've dedicated my life to do. That's what I'll continue to do if I keep my eyes on him and enjoy my abiding relationship with him. Otherwise, I'll get all sidetracked and I'll be arguing all the time and I won't be involved in what God's doing on the earth today. I don't want to argue. And usually the arguments on these type of t- teachings, these, and, and there's many others. I just went to the two popular ones. But I'll say this. Most of the arguments come from believers trying to talk other believers out of their belief. That's pretty much what it is. Somebody will gain on say, well, this is my new doctrine and you believe wrong. Man, seriously, I don't really have time for that. You're talking to a believer. Well, you know, according to my doctrine, you're not a real believer. 
man, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't see. I, I just don't. I mean, I see Jesus calling out hypocrites. I see Jesus calling out guys, religious rulers that are hurting people, not taking care of the poor. I see Jesus calling out people that don't care about the lame, don't care about the sick. I see Jesus calling people out that aren't giving, that aren't loving, that aren't gracious. I see that. And then when they come to him and say, hey, Jesus, there's these guys, you know, they don't follow us, but, but they're over there prophesying, they're over there. And Jesus says, man, let them go. If they're not, if they're preaching the gospel, they're not against us. If they're, they're not against us, so just let them go. He didn't send them over and go, well, go talk them out of it and make sure they follow. I mean, he was gracious. We need to be gracious. Any doctrine, any man's doctrine that you adopt, that I adopt, we adopt, that makes us unloving, not gracious, uncaring, arguers, strivers, fighters, I'm just asking you, take that back to the Lord and make sure it came from him. Because anything that comes from the Lord is going to reflect his love and his mercy and his grace. Remember we learn in Titus, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. And he says, over the law, this has been, this kind of argumentation has been with us forever. Sure, false teaching and things that are against the very substance of who Jesus is and his work of salvation, we need to take a stand for. But in our stance, we need to do so in love and grace and make sure we don't miss that the real deal is the lost. God, it will teach the truth here, but I, I'm assured of this, speaking in a much broader sense now, not just our, our talk on predestination here, but in a much broader sense, false teaching and weird stuff out there. We're going to teach the truth and we're going to take a stand on truth. But you can rest assured, God will deal with false teachers. And I just don't want to be one of them. God will deal with them. God will deal with, you've got some difficult people in your life right now and you might try to chase down every fire, you know, put out every fire on you. Listen, God will deal with the people causing you grief right now. God will deal. Now, you hope that he deals with them in grace. Sometimes you hope he deals with them in judgment, but you hope <laughs> he deals with them in grace because that's how he deals with you. Why would you want him to deal with you in grace and to wipe out that person? I'll tell you why. You want to know why? Jot this down. You got to write this down. Why would you want grace for yourself and judgment for someone else? Let me tell you. Write it, write it down. Write it on your hand if you have to. You can just write it this way. Because I'm in the flesh. Not Ed, you. So you're writing for yourself. Don't write Ed's in the flesh. Like, the reason why we want grace for ourselves and judgment for others is because we're in the flesh. Because if our eyes are on Jesus on the cross, we recognize that grace is for everyone and forgiveness because we've been forgiven so much. Who are we to withhold forgiveness on anyone else? And just love and let the Holy Spirit work out his fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. Release them to the Lord. I've learned the phrase, I mean, I, I didn't learn it like brand new, but God's brought it back to my life recently. Um, uh, from my wife, actually. A situation recently happened. Uh, it was really a longer situation, but um, it recently we were talking, and she just said, it's in the Lord's hands. And just start writing that out, man. You got this issue and you're praying, it's in the Lord's hands. Every time you pray about, like some of you were praying as we were interceding, and you pray, it's in the Lord's hands. It's in the Lord's hands. Trust him. Love him. 
and go to other things so that you can say, well, that one's in the Lord's hands too. And that one's in the Lord. And you meet somebody at work and you're praying for them. You show the God, oh, I don't want, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you around. I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to say, you're in the Lord's hands. And how comforting that is. But what do we do? We try to explain things. We try to understand things. And then we come to a place where we think we understand everything only to find out soon enough that we actually understand nothing. We need to know the love of God. The free will of man and the sovereignty of God are two truths held in tension. We need them both without explaining away either. We need the sovereignty of God. We need the free will of man. Just like the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco relies, it's a tension bridge. I'm not an engineer, so I can't speak to all the details about it, but it's a a bridge that's held up in tension. The span is needing that tension to remain standing. And so you know that you're called, and you know that you're chosen, and you know that you're saved, that you're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. He's working that in your life. He's working all things together for the good. And all that responds, instead of trying to figure it out, we rejoice in it. And we say, amen, Lord. I don't understand why you saved me. I don't understand why you began to work in my life. I don't understand what my future is. But man, I'll tell you this. I understand your great love because I experienced it myself. And I'm grateful that you intervened in my life. Responding as Jesus cried out in John 7, verse 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, he stood and cried, if anyone thirsts, anyone. He was talking to all the old covenant uh, believers there. He was also talking to all the Gentiles and the court of the Gentiles. The court. He was saying, anyone. I love that. Just come to him and drink. The spirit and the bride say, come, Revelation 22. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. John 3.16, the door is open to anyone and whoever, and believe in, whoever would believe in him. In John 3.36, it says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So the door is open for you today, listening to me, whether you want to believe in God or not. That's the real choice. If you believe, you're saved. If you don't believe, you're lost. And I read in the scriptures, no one that's ever asked to be saved has been refused because they were not predestined to be saved. (laughs) No one's been, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you heard the message, but you can't hear the message because you're not part of my plan. Jesus, Paul would write to Timothy, For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's saved. Don't think of this as universalism, that everyone gets saved in the end. That's not, there's there's condition, and the condition is faith. Repentance of sin, it's all package. God sees you right now and knows whether you'll have accepted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you will or have, then he's predestined you according to his foreknowledge. He knows your heart. That's what the Bible says. Man looks at the outward, but God knows the the heart. He knows the heart of the matter, and he knows what you'll do. That's Pastor Ed Taylor helping us arrive at a biblical understanding of God's predestination and the free will of man. As he said, it's a mystery we won't fully understand, but we're not called to. We're just called to embrace Jesus Christ by faith. 
Today on Abounding Grace, we heard a portion of Pastor Ed's series in 1 Kings. It's a message called God's Predestination. You can hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Load the messages onto your mobile device and listen at the gym, in the car, wherever you go. Just go to calvaryaurora.org or look for Abounding Grace Radio in iTunes. Maybe you've noticed God has always been interested in turning unlikely people into a faithful follower, from prostitutes to tax collectors and even normal everyday fishermen. In the book, Jesus Revolution, Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn recall a time when there was a great spiritual awakening. God transformed an unlikely generation. And Pastor Greg and Ellen believe God can do it again. We'd like to send you a copy of Jesus Revolution for your gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. If you'd rather write, our address is Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. We're to follow God's Word carefully and completely. That's the challenge ahead of us tomorrow on Abounding Grace when Ed Taylor returns to First Kings. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 